0: You are listening to the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee Radio Broadcast. The host and executive producer is Dr. Janine James. All of their programs are archived, so go to www.timeforanawakening.com and place in the search portal, Elders. The Sankofa Council of Milwaukee, is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Tank Radio Network. Reach out to them at MKE at gmail.com. And I repeat, sankovacouncilmke at gmail.com.
1: Finley Medical Clinic. We serve uninsured, underinsured, and insured individuals. Open Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Urgent Care Clinic Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Call for an appointment at 414-988-3079. Finley Medical Clinic is accepting new patients. Vaccines and screenings for uninsured, underinsured, and insured. Located at 10721 West Capitol Drive, Suite 110. We call our, our office for an appointment today at 414 to 988 stadium. At the dawn of the 20th century, America was a country full of promise and hope for many. Black Americans faced a different reality, a nation separate and unequal, yet their hope persisted. Pained by inequality, but inspired by resilience, writer and civil rights activist James Weldon Johnson put pen to paper. His words will become a unifying call, a hope for a brighter tomorrow, a timeless exhortation to lift every voice and sing.
2: Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven. da da
3: Pour. We'll, pour. Ashe. 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 we'll pour to the creative spirit, the great Ashe, out of which we all emerge, Ashe. 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 We pour to that creative spirit by whatever name we know it, whatever name you hold in your heart, in your mind, whatever name your ancestors gave, whatever name you learned as a child, whatever name you believe it to be, whatever name you believe it to be in spirit or in science, Ashe. reported the first human beings who came into existence on this planet the first human beings who raised the first structures who cooked the first meals who taught the first children who had the first children the first africans the first people who stood upright who walked who figured out how to stay on this planet, who figured out how to pass that knowledge on to their children and their children's children, the mothers and fathers of civilization. I say, we pour the next libation to their grandchildren, their children's children, those who raised the great early civilizations of Kemet and Kush and Monomotapa, the great medieval civilizations of Ghana and Mali and Songhai and Kenambornu. We pour to those who the great civilizations of the Igbo people and the Hausa people and the Kikongo people and the Mambara people, the great Monday. Civilizations, the great Kikongo, the great civilizations of southern Africa, the Bantu people, the great civilizations of southeast Africa, the Dinka, the Shilla, the Noor. We pour to those millions who raised the foundations from which the world would learn what it meant to be human in the world, Ashe. 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 We pour to their children who, were upon the arrival on the shores of people they had never seen before, found themselves captured and marched overland, found themselves perishing by the millions before they were held on the holding cells and the open air pens on the coast of west, central, southern, and east Africa. We poured to the ancestors who did not know as they were stripped of all clothing and sent denuded into boats, packed like animals and strewn their bones across the floor of the Atlantic and the Indian Ocean. We poured to them who in the last moment on Africa grabbed the sand and grabbed the dirt and put it in their mouths and understood that the only thing they might have to preserve their place in that continent was their memory of that place and their ability to pass it on to their children. We pour to them, We pour to those Africans and their children who finding themselves cast adrift in Santiago, Cuba who found themselves cast adrift in Porta, Spain Trinidad and Porta, Prince, Haiti who found themselves cast adrift in New Orleans and Charleston and Mobile who found themselves cast adrift in Salvador Bahia who found themselves cast adrift in Barbados and the archipelago that formed the wayward and the lee- and the windward coast we found them in these places learning portuguese and spanish and french whose often first words was oh my god or oh madre de dios who found themselves praying to survive and pass on to their children the memories we pour to those ancestors who are represented in the thousands, buried in all the square miles of where we stand. And who sit here, buried before us in 400 caskets, forged of wood from West Africa, with the Dinkra symbols. Each one of them, each woman, man, and child, symbolic of millions. The children of those who could not be killed, we pour our shank. I said. We pointed to their children who somehow survived the hells of enslavement and fought for emancipation in the Caribbean, the French, British, Dutch Caribbean, who fought for emancipation in South America, who fought for emancipation in Central America, who fought the struggles we refer to as the civil war in the United States, who came out of that, marched out of enslavement through reconstruction and found themselves making great migrations, eventually ending up in places like New York. Their children's children who, making a way for themselves, became our great-great-grandparents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our parents. Those who, when the first bones were discovered in this space, held their hands and said, Stop! No more! We are here to speak for those who can no longer speak with their mouths. We pour for those ancestors, some of whom came to Howard University in 2004 and followed these caskets all the way back to New York. We pray to the great ancestors, the ones whose names we know and the ones whose names we don't. And at this moment, as we pour this libation, I would ask anyone who feels comfortable to say the name of someone in your bloodline who is no longer physically here, but who you know made it possible for you to be here. Go ahead, let's hear the names. Hey Will Carr, Porter Griffins, <laughs> Thomas Jr., Evelyn Glover. <gloves>. We pour to the names that we hold collected. Ganga Zumba in Brazil. Toussaint Louverture, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, and Henri Christophe in Haiti. We pour to the great avengers, Nanny of the Maroons of Jamaica. We pour to the great ancestors, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass. Say the names that you study. Who are the names of the ancestors that you have come to hold in your heart and your mind as you hope that you can do what they did for us for your children and children's children. Let's say some of those famous names. John Henry Clark, John Jackson, Jacob Carruthers. And finally, two final libations. We pour to those who make it possible for us to do what we do. We pour to these rangers who stand guardian over this sacred space. We pour to these Africans and these folks who have come from Howard University, the staff, the faculty, the administrators who brought us here today bear witness. This is not a libation, but an affirmation, because their hearts still beat, their tongues still speak, their minds still think, and their minds still wish the best for us. We pour for all of those people who surrounded us on this journey today and made it possible for us to be here. We pour this affirmation of thanks, Ashe. 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 And finally we pour to your children's children's children who will one day stand on this space and speak your name.
4: History is, a clock that people use. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells a people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of history. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted line. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll ride. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Just because I walk as if I have oil wells pumping in my living room. <laughs> Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides. Just like hope springing high. Still, am I laugh. Did you want to see me broken? Bowed head and lowered eyes. Shoulders falling down like teardrops. Weakened by my soul so far. Does my assassin's upset you? <laughs> Don't take it so hard just because I laugh. As if I have gold mines digging in my own backyard. You can shoot me with your word. You can cut me with your lies. You can kill me with your hatefulness, but just like life, does my sexiness offend you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance? As if I have diamonds at the meeting of my thighs. Out of the huts of history's shame I rise. Up from a past rooted in pain, I rise. A black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling and bearing in time. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I ride. Into a daybreak miraculously clear, I ride. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the hope and the dream of the slave.
0: You are listening to the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee Radio Broadcast. The host and executive producer is Dr. Janine James. All of their programs are archived, so go to www.timeforanawakening.com and place in the search portal, Elders, the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee, is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Tank Radio Network. Reach out to them at MKE at gmail.com. And I repeat, sankopacouncilmke at gmail.com.
5: is Dr. Janine James, and we are the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee. We are delighted to be here with you today, and you have with you our host, Sister Afua Maad, and special treat, Queen Mother Shabaka. We've got a lot of estrogen here today, as well as some powerful ancestral estrogen that is here with us today. We are going to have some fun. We are talking today about surviving the racism in healthcare. care. But before we get further to our program, we'd like to turn to Sister Afua Mayat. If you would please give us the purpose of the Sankofa Council from our bylaws. Yes, good evening um, to
6: the community group, family, and to uh, Dr. James, Queen Mother, and our guest, Um, Our principles, the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee is an ever-evolving community dedicated to cultivating Sankofa, the reclaiming of our African memory, our African governance, and our African spirituality, in order to provide a healing and empowering environment for people of African descent globally. Through and immersive exploration of study and practice. We are experimental. The principles of Ulusaba, which provides moral and unifying values as the foundation and consistent movement towards restoring our people to our traditional greatness. Our study and amplifying the ancestral laws of Ma'at that allowed our ancestors to flourish, survive and pass on the legacy of greatness and to interact harmoniously with the world by honoring the universe, consciousness in all of creation. We contribute the skill sets that we have acquired as we seek ways to share our descendants, the principles that have historically been our strength and that have sustained us through captivity, colonization, and acculturation. We are dedicated and committed for as long as it takes to fulfill
5: this purpose. Hashay? Hache. And Sister Afua, we've got some more work for you today. But we're going to enjoy sharing with us your ancestral profile today.
6: Oh, yes. Um, I think you all will enjoy um, the chemist um, trailblazer, Alice Augusta Ball. Miss Alice Augusta Ball was an African American. Um, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. My apologies. She was a, an American chemist who developed an injectable oil extract from the Kaluma fruit seed. During the early 20th century, this isolation technique known as the Ball Method was the most effective treatment for decades to relieve the symptoms of the chronic infection of Henson disease, which is known as leprosy, and remained the preferred treatment until antibiotic drugs were developed in the 1940s. She was the first woman and first African American to receive a master's degree from the University of Hawaii. She was also the first female chemist professor at that university. Alice Augusta Ball was born on July 24th of 1892 in Seattle, Washington, to the union of Jane Presley and Laura Louise Howard Ball. She was one of four children. She had two older brothers and a younger sister. Alice's father was a newspaper editor, photographer, and a lawyer. And her grandfather, James Ball Sr., was also a famous photographer and one of the first African Americans in the U.S. to learn the process of printing photographs onto metal plates. During Alice's childhood, her family moved to Seattle, moved from Seattle to Honolulu in hopes that the warm weather would help her grandfather's arthritis. Returning to Seattle a year later, Ball attended the Seattle High School and received top grades in the sciences and graduated in 1910. Ball studied chemistry at the University of Washington and earned a bachelor's degree in pharmaceutical chemistry. And two years later, she received a second degree in pharmacy. Um, her second degree in pharmacy two years later. Her pharmacy instructor, or uh, she and her pharmacy instructor, um, published a 10-page article in the prestigious journal of the American Chemical Society titled "Benzyl." benzoline and ether solution. This kind of accomplishment was very rare for not only African-American women, but women of any race. Ball was offered many scholarships and offered to attend both University of California, Berkeley, and the University of Hawaii. She decided to move back to Hawaii to pursue a master's degree in chemistry. While studying at the university, she studied the kolumiger oil and its chemical properties. While kolumiger oil was previously been, had previously been used for the um, disease of leprosy, this pioneer scientist, at the age of 23, um, Revitalized the extracted oil and successfully developed a water-soluble inject form that was able to dissolve in the bloodstream. In 1915, Alice became the first woman and first African-American to graduate with a master's degree from the University of Hawaii. Alice Ball was also the first African-American woman research chemist and professor at the University of Hawaii. Unfortunately, on December 31st of 1916, due to her untimely death at age 24, Alice was unable to publish her revolutionary findings. Author L. Dean, a chemist and the professor of the University of Hawaii, continued her work, began producing large quantities of the injectable extract oil and published the findings without giving credit to Boyle. He also renamed the technique the Dean Method until exposed. The University of Hawaii did not recognize um, Alice's work for nearly 90 years. In 2000, the university finally honored Miss Ball by dedicating a a plaque to her on the school grounds. February 29th is dedicated as Allison's Ball Day, which is now celebrated every four years. So we stand on the shoulders of this ancestor, Allison August Boyle Ball, January 24th of 1892 to December 31 of 1916, and give thanks for her short time on this earth with us but powerful legacy she has sown that has a major impact on medical research
5: and our lives. Ashe. Ashe. That is so inspiring. Just to think the challenges we're talking about, racism, we're talking about a woman more than a hundred years ago with such a contribution, But that leads us into Queen Mother Shabaka has a message for us regarding our principles in Guza Saba. Queen Mother Shabaka?
7: Yes, I'm here. Uh, Thank you, Dr. James, and thank you to the Sankofa Council for asking me to do a little speech, a little sharing on my favorite Nguzo Saba <laughs> and that is Kujichagaliya. Chagaliya is a Swahili term that represents self-determination and was defined by Dr. Malana Karenga means to define ourselves, name ourselves, and speak for ourselves instead of being defined and spoken for by others. So ourselves, who are these ourselves you're talking about that we define and name and speak for? Are we the Africans who built civilizations in the Nile Valley and who invented literature, writing, mathematics, architecture, and the highest form of spirituality? The ones who developed the foundation for today's modern world, while the rest of the world were wanderers or living in caves? So when we talk about ourselves, we want to be mindful of our past accomplishments. Are we, the, are we the ourselves that established some of the most powerful African cultures that still exist today? The spiritual science of the Dogon, of Mali. The Epi spiritual system of Nigeria and Benin, the Akan kingdoms of Ghana and Togo, the Bantu kingdoms of southern Africa, and many, many other great kingdoms. Does the blood of the Africans who built these great civilizations flow through our veins? Is that who the ourselves is? Do we define ourselves as our ancestors defined ourselves with a divine self-image, an image of self as an extension of our creator and therefore endowed with the same qualities of our creator and interconnected with all beings and all things? When we define ourselves as divine, we are acknowledging that we are unlimited. We can create the world that is fit for divine beings to live in. And once we define ourselves, the next step is to name ourselves. Our names tell us who we are, where we come from, where we are going, how we may get there, and who is going with us. Our names play a key role in our realization of our destiny. It is so important that when a child was born, the elders of our community would go out of their way to find out who the child is and what the child's purpose is. And then a name is chosen that will promote that path. So one of the most valuable tools that we have in our life's work is our name. So define ourselves, name ourselves, and speak for ourselves. In speaking for ourselves, are we impeccable with our words? Do we speak with integrity and say only what we mean? It was not our choice to speak English. So why are ourselves using English to speak for ourselves? If we use the language of others to speak for ourselves, our existence, our definition will be dependent on the eyes, ears, and minds of others and is necessary for their survival and their control of the world. And for us to adopt their language is to adopt their view of the world and a necessary step for their control over us. Day by day at home, at school, at church, and from television and movies, we're told how to live, what kind of behavior is acceptable, what kind of lifestyle to aspire to, what religion to accept, what health practices to accept, what economic practices to accept, what political practices to accept while they build institutions that exclude us from opportunities to live those practices. And and they reward those of ourselves who promote a negative self-image of ourselves that goes against our own inner nature. So when we use, when we practice Kujichagalia, Defining ourselves, naming ourselves, and speaking for ourselves, we can be well on the way to restoring ourselves to our traditional greatness. Puji Changalia.
5: Thank you, Queen Mother Shabaka. That was very inspiring and certainly will help us to get that memory back. So we're we're thankful for that presentation. We're talking today about surviving the racism in healthcare and I have a unique opportunity to think about that because we're talking about it, healthcare, in a variety of ways and it's a sobering thought. Even the people who have vowed to take care of our health are no different in their thinking than those we are challenged by in our everyday lives. Those of us who are black and health professionals have seen it and we don't like it. We learn what we have been blessed to learn in spaces we are blessed to have been able to enter, but it too has been an unpleasant, gracious journey. We are lied to and lied about, just as have our patients. We have learned to be silent so as not to compromise our being in this privileged space. When we can, we take the chance of looking out for the interests of our patients, knowing to do so can be hazardous to our career. We are now living in a time when we have Black doctors who have become trained in all aspects of medical knowledge, but at the same time, many of those doctors do not know their history and assume they are in their current spaces because of their brilliance. Most do not recognize there are many before them who have joined the ancestors and have the same intellect and curiosity. I have enjoyed learned about learning about those before me and their contributions to improving our lives, providing for us education and treatment. They have done it in their homes, their kitchens, not so elaborate professional offices, but the care that was rendered was the best that was often available. Healthcare is probably the last profession to acknowledge our brilliance and perseverance. Even as health professionals, doctors, we are no safer than any of you when it comes to access to health care. The difference is that we know what it should look like, how it should work and what should be done. We have studied what has been shown to be best practices, and even we are not getting what the medical literature has identified. We must understand that we are expecting those who have oppressed us to fairly assess our physical and mental needs historically to take a different position, simply because we are presenting ourselves to them as patients seeking help. Dr. Martin, our guest, and I have talked about these experiences, we and our families in the healthcare system as patients, and it is scary. We have learned that when you are sick, you cannot advocate for yourself. You, even as a doctor, are vulnerable. Today, on Time for an Awakening, you have two physicians who have 85 years' experience as physicians who will share with you what has been learned in medical research, we hope, in a way that makes sense to you. Each week, we bring to you an advertisement from our sponsor, EDOC Advice. Dr. Martin and I present, represent the core of that service. Sadly, we have had no one to reach out to us. We continue to support this program as we recognize the duty we have to help our people to survive. We will start this evening posing this question. What is a cardiologist? What is heart disease? And why is it the leading cause of death? And what makes it more deadly? for black men and especially black women to survive a heart attack. I will present to you and am so excited, Dr. Cheryl Martin, cardiologist and heart specialist. Dr. Martin is here with us. She comes to us from Palm Springs, California, via a lot of other places, but we are happy that she has been with us and has provided so many opportunities for us to learn. She even had a cable television program in Milwaukee for many years, Matters of the Heart, to help our community to learn from various Yes, as we are doing, about factors that contribute to health, wellness, or illness. Dr. Cheryl Martin, I've given you some directives, and we're looking forward to hearing from you. Dr. Martin, good evening. Yes, ma'am. Good
8: evening, Dr. James, and thank you for allowing me this opportunity to address your audience. Would you like to start by asking
5: me a particular question or? Yes. My question to you was, what is a cardiologist? What is, why is heart disease a leading killer? And why is it particularly a problem for black men, but especially black women? That's kind of a big challenge, but. You can handle it. All right. Those are excellent questions. And so let's just
8: go by one by one. Uh first question What is a cardiologist? A cardiologist is someone who specializes in heart disease and what is a what is heart disease? Heart disease is any illness that affects the heart muscle and the blood vessels that affect the heart muscle. So heart disease can be a heart attack. It can be irregular heart beat, which is called an arrhythmia. It can be um, abnormal pumping function of the muscle. The heart is a muscle. So abnormal pumping function can lead to congestive heart failure. So it includes congestive heart failure. And includes all of those things. Any any disease that affects pumping mechanisms, heartbeat, um, blockages to blood supply to the heart, all of those would fall under the category of diseases of the heart. And usually, when you when you talk about cardiology, you also are including Diseases of the blood vessels, like the diseases of the arteries. Arteries are taking blood away from the heart, and veins are bringing blood back to the heart. So diseases of the blood vessels are also included in the spectrum of diseases of the heart. So it is cardiovascular disease as well. So what makes it particularly um, lethal for black men and women? And that's an excellent question. We don't really have the answer to that. Um, We have some speculation, and we have compared the incidents. First of all, it's the number one killer of, of all people in America, of all Americans who live in America. It's the number one killer, just regardless of your sex, regardless of your ethnic background, it is the number one killer. So when we look at people that live in America versus people that don't live in America and compare their death rates, it appears that people who do not live in America and are not westernized, they have a lower rate of heart disease compared to Americans. So one would have to speculate that there's something in our lifestyle that is, in, that is putting us at an increased risk from dying from heart disease. I mean, that just goes without, that's the rational impression. And we know that we have an increased incidence of high blood pressure with heart disease. Um, so high blood pressure is a risk factor for heart disease. High cholesterol is a risk factor for heart disease. Smoking is a risk factor for heart disease. Obesity is a risk factor for heart disease. Increased stress level is a risk factor for heart disease. Diabetes is a risk factor for heart disease. So all of those things and a lot of those those risk factors are have an increased prevalence and incidence of occurrence in African-Americans. And so that would, that would account for some of the increase that you see in black men and black women, because there, there's, there's uh, a higher degree of diabetes in blacks com- as compared to those of European descent. So that could account for their increase um incidence of heart disease. So those those factors you have to really focus on. Now as far as racism and confronting racism in healthcare, that's such a huge topic. I think that we have probably have to take a little tiny bite of that every week for a while until we can encompass the whole thing. But I don't think that we are doing a we have done a good job in that. Um, because we just because there's still racism in heart disease. What can I say? It exists even today, in the year twenty twenty two. There's still racism. There's racism in the training process. There's racism that I had to confront when I was a medical student and you did too. Everybody did. There and there is racism in, in being treated as a patient. There's racism in that area. So we we have to do a much much better job
5: in confronting racism in healthcare. Dr. Martin, you mentioned something and uh, it hit a nerve for me when you spoke about some of the issues that we have dealt with during our training experience. And there's a story that you related to me, which I find really chilling. And I wish you would share that about being in conference at uh, your training program. And what was it that you heard announced that really riveted
8: you. Yes, when I was on the surgical rotation, I spent uh, about a month on the surgery rotation, studying general surgery procedures and techniques. And I was told, uh, I was asked had by um, one of the other black residents had I been told about the snow award. S-N-O-W, the SNOW Award. And I answered, no, I hadn't heard of the SNOW Award. What was the SNOW Award? And the resident told me that it was something that the white residents would talk about, but not the black ones. And so I was really very interested in what it was. And what they were talking about was SNOW. It stands for S as in sickest, sickest, N for nigger, and O for of, and W for week. Who would get the snow award this week? Who was the sickest nigger of the week? And they would laugh and laugh and laugh among themselves, and they would be happy to give this award out to whatever very unfortunate person was very ill that particular week. And I just I I was just floored. I was just absolutely floored when I heard this. But that was true. It was a true story and everybody knew about it except me. I mean our, and the other black students we had we didn't we weren't familiar with it, but that was true and it went around and I don't know when it stopped. I have no idea. But, I mean, that was relatively recently. I mean, that was in the 80s. So that was just one of the many, many things that have a, has occurred that uh, indicates the racism in medicine. And those were the people that are supposed to be taking care of us. Can you imagine? I can't imagine.
5: Well, unfortunately, uh, I've got some of those same kind of stories and I'm going to leave that for a bit, but Sister Afua is here uh, with um, our sponsor, and she'd like to give us that message. Okay.
6: All right. Thank you, Dr. James and Dr. Martin. Uh, It is a website, which is, eDoc Advice. It's created to provide a place to go get answers to your health or medical concerns. Are you wanting more options than you feel you're getting? Let us help you problem solve. Go to our website and and ask your question. Our experienced professionals will help you obtain the help you need that makes sense to you. So go to www. com. That's www. dot com.
5: c o m. Back to you, Doctor Jane. Thank you so much for that information, and we are again. Really pleased to have you here, and we welcome you to share with us your questions, your experiences that might relate to racism. And you can join us by calling our number, which is 215 490. 9832 and join us for this discussion about racism in healthcare. The experience I related to Dr. Martin was, again, one that I had first as a medical student on rounds in the OB or obstetrical department, as you might imagine, these are all women. We're talking often about childbirth and and you would go on rounds and perhaps 20 people would walk into a patient's room and they would tell her story as the reason she was there. And they would remove her sheet and expose her body to demonstrate some aspects of this person's concern. They may show her pregnant belly, but they may be even more detailed in what it is. They did not ask her permission. They did not think about how vulnerable that woman might feel with 20 people standing in the room. And in that day, most of those were men. And I was appalled, but I didn't know quite what to do And I found myself moving closer to the patient. I would get her sheet and I would start to slide her sheet up to cover her again. This served to send a message without me having to say it, without the patient having to say it, that this is not appropriate. This is not comfortable. This is not the thing to do. No one ever said anything to me about doing it. But unfortunately, I had to do that more often than I'd like to to admit. So that's one of my stories about the racist experience. Uh, But unfortunately, there are many,
8: <laughs> Yes, there, and are I many.
5: Say, there are many stories, but we
8: don't want to use these stories to scare people away from seeking medical care. We do not want that. We want to encourage people to come to see us, but, but we want to give them some hints or some ideas of how they can assess whether they're being treated kindly or not. And so some of the things that I would like to recommend is that they first become educated. They need to become educated about their own bodies because we have people walking around 80 years old. that don't know where their spleen is or don't know what a spleen is. They don't know where their appendix is. They don't know what an appendix does. They don't know where their liver is. I mean, that's ridiculous. You walk around, 80 years old and you have these parts and you don't know anything about them, that's crazy. You know more about your car than you do about your own body. So that's one thing that's important is that you learn about your body and I think you're going to be listing some uh, basic books for people to pick up. Uh, I think you're going to list that on the website. Is that correct?
5: Well, yes. We can make that available there. We have an email address that people can use, which is Sankofa Council MKE, if they'd like to get more information about some of the things that we're talking about today. Okay. And that, and that these books will just
8: educate you on just basic uh, anatomy and physiology so that you will have some information you'll know about your body at least as much as you know about your car. I mean, that's a little, a little bit that I can offer you. And then once you learn a little bit about your body, then we can go a little step further and just and, and find out about different
5: disease processes. But let's say you go into your doctor because...
0: So <laughs> you Dr. Have- Martin,
5: we're going we're gonna to come back to that. We're at the top of the okay. hour. And that's time for us to move on to something before we come back. So we'll be with you momentarily.
8: Yes, ma'am.
1: We serve uninsured, underinsured, and insured individuals. Open Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Urgent Care Clinic Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Call for an appointment at 414-988-3079. Finley Medical Clinic is accepting new patients. Vaccines and screenings for uninsured, underinsured, and insured. Located at 10721 West Capitol Drive, Suite 110. Call our office for an appointment today at 414 988
0: Listening to the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee radio broadcast. The host and executive producer is Dr. Janine James. All of their programs are archived, so go to www.timeforanawakening.com and place in the search portal Elders. The Sankofa Council of Milwaukee. Is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Tank Radio Network. Reach out to them at Sancopa Council MKE at gmail.com. And I repeat, Sancopa Council MKE at gmail.com. Oh, well.
5: Well, we are back. Doctor Doctor Rogers announcement and now Sister Apo is you're welcoming us back?
6: Yes I was. Welcome back. Um, we are opening the lines for the callers. Um, please with any questions or comments, please give us a call at area code two one five four nine zero 9832 again that's area code 215-499830 and we welcome any questions um or comments regarding our topic of surviving racism in healthcare. i give it back to you dr james and dr martin
5: well we're glad we're glad to be back and we are glad to Talk about what we're finding, um, and more of you are finding about this healthcare system that we re- that we rely on, and and our discussion is about what we can do to survive because we're struggling. And I'm just thinking about the experience. Dr. Martin has had, her husband has had, that I've had, it's not pretty. And we often say that if we are having these experiences and we know what's going on, what experiences are you having when you attempt to seek medical attention? Dr. Martin. Yes. Yes. What's going on? What's health like these days? Well, I wish it was better.
8: I do wish it was better and I think that the first step we can do is to educate ourselves about what's inside of our bodies. That's number 1. Okay,
2: number
8: 2, number two is we should look up uh just, just rudimentary. This is the information age. We have more access to information than anybody has ever had in the history of the world. Right now, so there's no excuse. You can look it up, uh, innumerable ways. And just look if you have a stomachache, look up, look, look up stomachache on your computer and see what it says. And just so that you can go into when you see when you seek medical attention. You can go in with some questions or with some information that that you you are knowledgeable and take somebody with you. That's key. Take a, a one person, not a whole group. Take one person
5: with you and ask questions. Well, let me just let me just remind you, uh, and let's talk about this, Doctor Martin. Um, with COVID. That has just made it even more blatant in terms of the racism. We are told you can't bring anybody with you. Now, that's just crazy. You can't bring anybody And that's anybody been with relaxed. You. That's been relaxed
8: in most places. They now allow you to bring one person.
5: Okay. In most places, so... The other thing that people may encounter, even if you can't bring somebody in, just about everybody has a cell phone and you can, you really have to ask the permission to do that. But if you can't have someone with you, you can ask, is it okay uh, for me to call my son, my daughter um my friend so that they too can hear what the what's being presented they often won't want you to take a picture but um you certainly can ask if you're there by yourself if someone else excellent can hear. Point. excellent absolutely that's excellent um but sometimes you are very ill and you can't think to do that. And so I would encourage anybody who knows a friend or family member who's going uh, and somebody wants you to wait in the waiting room, then you need to ask, "Is, is it okay, ask your friend, is it okay for me to come in the room as well? so they know what is being discussed with you, what's been explained to you. This is very, very uh, helpful. Um, And um, I think that uh, you speak about how much information we have, and we really do. Uh, It's amazing what information that we can get from the internet And a lot of it depends on how you enter the information. However, what I caution people about is that they not feel that they can take care of themselves based on the information that exists. Because unfortunately, people are not just with one issue they often have stomach ache and you can look at all the things that could cause a stomach ache, but it is important to be able to look at what your history is and what your current conditions are or past conditions. So in order to be able to know the significance of that stomach ache You really need to know if the person also has diabetes, hypertension, arthritis. And this is where, this is what separates the average person from looking on the internet from that health professional, that doctor, because they've got to know all of that information in order to be able to best assess what's going on with you. And so, yes, it is, I would agree, that's very helpful to use your internet and enter some of this information um, just so that you have a good idea of the kinds of things that will be brought up in that um, meeting that you have with a health professional. But even still, that may not, tell you if you need to go right now to see someone. Can it wait two weeks? See, these are some of the things that make it a little more challenging. So what do you do about that? So then let's talk
8: about that. Let's talk about those things that demand immediate attention. Any, any chest pain in somebody 35 years or older, go to the emergency room. Any shortness of breath, you know, you have to seek seek your health care provider. Very few conditions can
5: last two weeks. Very few. So what many people tell me is I don't have a doctor. I don't know who to see.
8: Well, okay. So then you have to call you have to call the referral services. And maybe your insurance plan can refer you to somebody. You need a referral or maybe your girlfriend has an excellent doctor that she she can refer uh, you to her doctor. I mean there's a lot of ways to get doctors.
5: Well can, I don't have any can, money. I don't
2: have okay. any money so I can't. Well, you're uninsured.
8: If you're uninsured there's a way for you to get health care by going to a federally qualified health center. So there's an answer to your problem. Whatever, whatever problem you have, you just go on the internet. They'll give you an answer. So
5: you mentioned federally qualified health center. Right. Now, that's, that's one of my favorite topics because I call that the best kept secret that we have in terms of health care. Did you know that there are over 2,000 federally qualified health centers in the United States? And each of those centers receive millions of dollars, millions of our dollars to see that everybody has some access to health care, and certainly some health information. And these federally qualified health centers are, are legislated. There are statutes called, one is called 330 statutes, that basically say that these facilities are to exist, uh, that there are health professionals there that include Doctors, nurse practitioners, physicians assistants, registered nurses, medical assistants. They have laboratories, dental settings in many places, podiatry services, pediatric care, obstetrical or pregnancy care, mental health services. They're all there. And you can call those facilities. And talk to someone there who can tell you that you need to come in and they can work out either no pay or very low pay depending upon your circumstance. So there's some people who don't have health insurance, but that doesn't mean they're broke. They might be a contractor, a plumber, they have some money, but they don't have the luxury of health insurance. So they can go to federally qualified health center. And did you know that if you need a medication, you can get that medication so cheap because this is mandated through the federal government. So I have a medication that cost me as much as $300 every 3 months and i can get that medication for 4 dollars going to a federally qualified health center so it would make sense that even if you have your own doctors but you are being prescribed medications that you are finding very expensive you can become a patient at a federally qualified health center and you have to be part of their system but once you are part of their system then you are eligible for having a lower cost for your medications so federally qualified health center a great resource just you can go on the internet for that information federally qualified health center and where is one where i live and you put in your Your zip code and it will tell you the list of federally qualified health centers. Now I see that we have a caller. Let's go to 334 414.
2: 334 414. Good evening, Dr. James, and good evening to your guests and to the Sankofa Council. Um, The question that I have is Is there too much to ask? Um,
3: uh, in trying to get patients to learn how to take responsibility for their health, and and maybe going in the in the route of
5: plant-based dieting, is that too much to ask, Doctor Martin? Okay. Doctor Martin, want to take that one? Okay, who
8: do you want to take it? You. Oh, okay. So, is it too much to ask for, for patients to take responsibility for themselves, and what was the second part? Uh, the second part in say, teaching them uh,
3: plant-based dieting or plant-based, oh, plant-based. nutrition.
8: Yeah. Well, for well, one, is that um, medical doctors are not trained in plant-based therapy. So, it's if you want that, then you need to go. You need to find out somebody who's practicing that. I don't. I don't practice that medicine, oh, and Dr. Okay. James doesn't practice that either. So okay. I mean, yeah, they need to find a, a doctor. But I'd be happy to work with that plant-based physician or or specialist, you know, to get to to achieve the. The uh, the the healthcare that this patient needs to get back on track. I mean, that's the bottom line: is to get some people to be healthy, and uh-huh. and whatever it takes to, for them to be healthy, that's what we want to do. So if it, if it's requiring somebody who's a specialist in plant based medicine, well, let's go there too. Okay. But I don't think it's too much to ask.
3: Okay, because maybe we as 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 uh, consumers don't know how to take responsibility for our health, I, I guess we well, we, we kind of think we do, but we really don't.
8: We really don't. We really don't because we're bombarded with commercials and uh-huh. everybody telling us that a hamburger is good for us when you know a hamburger and, and add extra mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we get those no commercials twenty-four-seven. You know, so. No, we really don't know.
7: Okay, Asante Sana, thank you so very much for attending my question.
5: You're welcome. And thank you for your call. Now, this this is uh the interesting, and this is the point we really want to be able to make. Uh, is it too much to ask for you to learn these things uh, about your health? And the point that, that we want to be able to get for you today, if you didn't if you haven't been getting the messages, if you don't do it, it's not gonna happen. There's there's nobody really helping you in that process. Uh, they don't know really how to get your attention often. And quite frankly, sometimes, depending on who's speaking, we have a tendency to tune it out. Because we, we either it, it sounds complicated, so we don't want to learn that the medicine that was prescribed was acetaminophen, which was another name for Tylenol, because that word seems too complicated, okay? But if we don't pay attention, then we will perish. It's it's as simple as that. Um, but also that leads to us to begin the conversation about who is providing the services. And I don't know if you do this, but I do this quite a bit. Uh, I do use the internet quite a lot and I will look at a hospital or a clinic that will often have a listing of the uh, staff, of their doctors, their mid-level providers. And what what is chilling is how few of us are in the pictures. Now, I get it that sometimes people may not be as identifiable, but when you are going to an office and there is nobody there that looks like you or your friend or your family member, you've got to be a little suspicious because we are out there. We have trained, there are many of us there, and even though our numbers do not um, are not as close to what the general population is, we are there. So you have to wonder, is this a space that truly I feel comfortable being? And that's not to say that you will not get excellent care, that people are very... Uh, Reassuring, very experienced, but you got to ask the question: Where are we, and what impact that's going to have? And so we've been doing quite a bit, and and this is this is being done um, more so by the black health professional who has been pushing for more young people to be trained in the health sciences. We are asking for more to be recruited, to be hired. So you need to see them among the resident staff. You need to see them among the attending staff. And the data has shown that, for example, uh, black babies have been shown to do better when they're being taken care of by a black pediatrician. Now, you don't have to like it. You don't like, you don't may not like that message. And you may tell me you have a wonderful provider and I don't doubt that you may. But this isn't data that I made up. This is the data that that the uh, research from uh, the numbers that they have, if you have a black physician and you are black, you tend to do better. Now, there are probably a number of reasons for that, even though the black physician nowadays most, have been trained in white institutions. And if you don't practice the way you have been taught, then in some way you are deficient. But what happens behind doors and what you agree to and determine is going to be in the best interest of your patients is between you and your patient. Really, it should be. But there are a lot of people who do look over our shoulders as to what we're doing and have a lot to say sometimes in what we're doing. And I know that I've had to leave medical staff when I found that there were more people who were managing my patient and I'm responsible than me managing the care of my patient. So we've got to have more of our children who are being studious enough because it is a rigorous program to pursue the health professions as well as pursuing healthcare administration. We're needed in those settings as well. So everybody's kid is not going to the NFL not everyone is going to be a rap singer not everyone will be a doctor but more will be than we think about if we just are encouraging and making it possible for our children to pursue some of this medicine and i used to feel uh really fortunate because I had a lot of older relatives who had a number of health issues. And all I had to do was just think about, well, how did grandma's legs look? And what was the medication that she received? So that helped me quite a lot uh, in learning medicine. So they wonder how I got into obstetrics because nobody was having any babies. But uh, it certainly helped me to understand a, quite a bit of medicine, dr martin what do you what do you think? Yes, I think that's
8: an excellent point um, that you made, and I also want I think we ought to uh, spend a, at least a minute or two to talk about uh, mid level providers and when it's appropriate to see a midwife versus an obstetrician. Um, and uh, you know when it's appropriate for a physician assistant versus a medical doctor. I think we ought to spend at least one or two minutes on on those on that area in that area.
5: So you throwing that back to me. Well, I mean, do you agree? Do
8: you want to? Do you think it's worth yeah. one or two minutes?
5: Yeah, okay. I do because um, I have and probably. one of the biggest champions of mid-level providers uh, coming up through a time when this was being introduced. And these uh, are health professionals who have learned an expanded role in healthcare. So these may be persons trained as registered nurses uh, and then they decide that they want to um, have more of a responsibility. And so they take additional training and they are taking care of patients independently. You have uh, the certified nurse midwife who's always been a- around but has not always been in the hospital setting and doing deliveries independently. That is happening. And they have done an excellent job getting excellent results. But I have to say the challenge is, and this is where the business side of medicine comes in, who has not been as aware of what the training really consists of, is that the the purpose of the mid-level was not to replace physicians. And people often hear that there's a shortage of physicians. Uh, in, In theory, they were trained for the purpose of performing some of the tasks that physicians were performing, which was taking time away from that which only the physician had been trained to do. But what has happened is that the business side says, if I'm paying this person more as a nurse practitioner or as a physician assistant, I'd like to get more out of them. So instead of serving in a role that, as a team and complementing the physician so that he is, in fact, able to participate in more patients' care, the nurse practitioner is receiving her group of patients. So again, she's very busy. And so it's very possible that you have a number of very significant medical conditions, and you are seeing someone who really does not have the training to assess a patient with multiple problems. They do their best work with patients who are basically healthy and may have one, they're coming for a checkup. They need a school physical. They do an excellent job with those sorts of things. And for uncomplicated normal pregnancies, they do an excellent job and are able to answer many of your questions. And I think that to a great extent, they, they know what some of their limitations are. Unfortunately, the... Persons that are managing such services are often placing greater demands on them so that they're not able to exercise their training uh, in the manner that would best meet the needs of the patients that they're being asked to see. So then let me just say this.
2: Before Dr. Martin...
6: Yeah, if I may, if you don't mind, before you um, pose the, your next question, um, we would no, like No, I'm to not going to
8: go to my next question. I need to to just make a statement here.
6: Okay, could you could you hold that thought for a minute? The reason yes, why yes, we would like yes. to um, to open and remind our callers and invite them to join us in this uh, very in-depth conversation. Uh, the number is area code 215-490-9832. Also, we would like our listeners to know if you would like to learn more about the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee and the elders, learn why um, we sponsor this program, understand our purpose and mission. Um, we welcome you to participate. Um, please send us e- an email to... Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com with any contact um, information or expressing an interest um, on the topic. And I thank you. Um, go ahead, Dr. Martin. Can you repeat that, repeat that phone number again for the listeners? <laughs> the number is area code 215 490 9832.
8: Okay, what I was just going to say interject with 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 Dr. James's comment is that it's incumbent upon the patient to find out when they're making their appointment if, to find out what the role of their mid-level, if they have any mid-levels, what is their position, what is their role, how do they use their mid-levels? And if they say their all their mid-levels do is one thing or they're not that active or whatever, that's fine. But if they say they use their mid-levels for everything, that's not appropriate. And I would not recommend you uh, going to that particular practice. So you have an option, and the option is on you. When you, you just call up and find out what is the level of your mid-levels and what do they do. And you can go from there. But that's what I would recommend.
6: Dr. Martin, could you go – uh, a little deeper um, into what you mean by mid levels for yes. um, for someone. Yeah. So, okay. So what? How do they do? They use
8: midwives. Do they use physician assistants? Do they use uh, uh yeah, physician assistants, nurse practitioners? Do they use those in their practice? If they do not use those in their practice, that's fine. But if they do use those, how do they use them? Are you automatically seen every time you come in for a visit by the nurse practitioner first? That's not appropriate. Now, that
5: is a great system to allow patients to get in quickly. All right, because they can, when you're told you can't get in for two weeks or even two months, you could come in and be seen by a nurse, a mid level, an example of a mid level is a nurse practitioner, a physician's assistant, a certified nurse midwife. So you can ask, uh, I need to get in sooner. Can I come in and see your mid level provider? And often you can get in much sooner. And then from there, you can decide together that I would like my next visit to be with the physician. Because if you don't ask, it may not happen. I have a, a, a issue that came up recently, and I have yet to see the doctor. but I have spoken. Several times I've had a diagnosis, I've had labs ordered, and I have even had my treatment prescribed by the mid-level. Now, it may not be anything different that the uh, physician might have said, but if I wasn't a physician and knew some of these answers, I'd be kind of troubled by that.
2: So, so it is Dr. important. James.
6: Yeah.
5: So Dr.
6: James and Dr. Martin. So um, when it comes to asking those questions, should that be um, left on the patient when they first meet with that doctor? Um, should they also, should, should it also be identified when you're looking at uh, researching the physician with the um, on their profiles, um, so I, I see it as all a of combination the above. Of two. All of the above, but
8: particularly when you're making your appointment, your first appointment, and you don't know anything about this practice, you need to ask them, and they need to tell you.
5: So and the question you, is, who has to yes. take that on? Unfortunately, yes, that's an example of you yes. having to to bring this up. It's your responsibility as a
8: patient. It's not the practice's responsibility to inform you. It's your responsibility to ask.
5: And mind you, all of the systems have very few people who are seen by independent physicians anymore. Um, They are physicians that are being employed by hospitals or a group. And so they want to be able to um, maximize whatever profit there is. And in many respects, there's not as much profit as you might think in healthcare. So, therefore, they're looking at ways to bring their costs down. And quite frankly, for us, for many of us of color, we have a number of issues that are having to be assessed simultaneously. So, seldom do you have one patient who comes in with a single problem. They just have arthritis. They just have diabetes. And so since we smoke we're smoking cigarettes, we're drinking alcohol, we're stressed, we have hypertension. Frankly, I think those are too many problems to be seen without having a physician to see you during some of those visits. And they may do exactly the same that the doctor did, but they may not. And this is where we can have a problem. And similarly, a physician who's working and doesn't have the help of a nurse to help him in reviewing lab results, for example, and bringing to our attention that this test result came back and it wasn't normal. That's a critical piece when you don't have enough support to help you in doing what's going to be best for your patient. So I'm not putting this all on a concern for midwives or mid-level physicians, uh, mid-level providers. I think that to be as... uh, comprehensive as patients need, it does require a team of people who um, are able to take on their assignment and all contribute so that we don't miss anything that could ultimately be important. I have reviewed more death certificates than I would like to acknowledge where something could have been done in a different way. If patients were aware of certain things, perhaps it could be managed in a different way. Which brings to me uh, one of the subjects that I wanted us to cover. Um, Dr. Martin, I've noticed, and I know you're familiar with it more closely than you'd like, uh, the the growth of dialysis centers throughout mm. our communities. So many people with chronic kidney disease who are on dialysis or who are waiting for transplant. What is contributing to that, Dr. Martin?
8: Well, Dr. James, I'm not sure that I'm the right person to answer that question. But I would like to refer our listeners to uh, reading um, uh, reading about the economics of dialysis in one of the economic magazines or trades because it is not driven by the, the chronic kidney disease population. It's, not, it's driven by other business factors. And that's mm-hmm. my understanding. We do have a large number of chronic kidney disease patients, that's for sure. But this, this giant increase in the centers is not 100% driven by the number. It's driven by economic factors and other business
2: decisions.
5: Well, something that I'm seeing that has bothered me, and, and I've encountered this among my friends, where a person is informed that their kidneys are not working optimally. Okay. And they'll be told okay, well, come back and see us in three months and let's see how things are looking. Right. So the person may come back every three months. And over that time, the numbers, so to speak, the the test results are beginning to show that the kidneys are working less optimally less not function yes. quite yes. as well yes and then ultimately they, then they get the call that says your kidneys are not working but a very little and that you need to be on dialysis yes okay and my concern is which what contributes to the decision making that tells you where you're told, perhaps we need to refer you to a kidney specialist to see what may be contributing to this and what we can do that may prevent you from needing to be on dialysis. All right, now that's
8: an excellent question. That's an excellent question. And so what it is is that, and that that should happen, you should see a, a nephrologist if your if your kidney function tests continue to worsen over a period of time. You should definitely ask for a referral to see a nephrologist. That's the name of the kidney specialist. Now, what's out there to prevent this is not it's not that much out there unless you're meticulous. If you're a diabetic, you have to be meticulous with your blood sugar control. And your diet—you have to watch that. Those are things that can help, but there's nothing that you can do that will abbreviate the natural progression of of diabetes. Is that's just it. If you're you're if you if you, really, if you have diabetes, you're just gonna march. It's gonna happen. It's just gonna happen. There is nothing that you can do at this point if you're a diabetic and you have ever that's going to prevent you uh, from developing kidney failure. There is nothing.
5: So you're so saying I you, you should go to
8: a nephrologist.
5: Okay, so even sticking to your diet, keeping your yep. hemoglobin A1C low? Like I said, it may help, but it's not going to
8: prevent. But it may help, but it will not prevent 100%. Okay.
5: Well, I think that's all the more reason that I w- would want to see that people um, are being referred to a kidney specialist. Right. If, if they're told that something is not right, so that a full diagnosis is made, because maybe there's something else that's going on that needs to be fixed. And so um, that's a sign in terms of surviving a system that may not be giving you the full set of options. And so seeing a specialist uh, does not mean that you're transferring your care from your provider, that even though it may be a distance away from where you live, but it would be nice for you to know um, if there's something in addition that could be done, something that could delay this process. Uh, you'd like to hear it from somebody where this is their specialty. And now, so they do I,
8: have an advertisement of a medication that they, they just started advertising on television of a medication that supposedly will abbreviate um will or will yeah will abbreviate the um the time that will prolong the time span between renal insufficiency and and renal failure, supposedly, so by the time that you hear this and make your appointment to see the kidney specialist you may there may be good news, maybe there will be a medication that will stop the process, but right
5: now there isn't. All right. Well, this, this is, um, helpful information that you've uh, shared with us. And, uh, S- sister Fool, you have any, any more messages for us?
6: Um, I'm just sitting here taking it all in. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Um, and it's interesting of how small the world is. Um, as I'm listening to Dr. Martin, um, I can attest to her. Uh, as a physician, she um, was my mother's um, physician, uh, cardiologist. So it's interesting as I'm listening um, to her of uh, a lot of the memories of her professionalism, um, and it's great to hear her. Uh, Speaking this evening.
5: Well, thank you very much. That's wonderful. Yeah,
6: that was wonderful. That
8: was excellent. And I would encourage her to send me some emails because she made. She sounds like she has some specific situations, and uh, I may be able to have to provide some more answers for her. So, um, give her my email. Yeah, give her my email address.
6: And we and we will reach out. Yes, definitely. Oh, good, good, good. Because I would like to hear from you. Okay, wonderful. I
5: I think it's you. You're kind of touching on something, and I will take a little time to address that. Uh, you mentioned having had Dr. Martin there in uh, Milwaukee and to help with your mom. I'm not aware that there is another Black cardiologist. There is not. There is not, and we were heartbroken
6: when she <laughs> um, shared that she was leaving. And there, there is, there isn't. Um, we have looked, looked um, high and wide, and um, yeah, we, we, we need her back.
5: <laughs> well, we, we, you, you, you got, you, you do have her to, to some, to some extent. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think this is an example of where we need to be as a community more uh, vocal. We are yeah. uh, going to hospitals and we need to say, I need yeah. you to do some recruitment yeah. of a black cardiologist. This yeah. is what I want. They're yeah. there. Yeah but they may not think about coming to Milwaukee. They may not, but if someone extends a personal invitation and makes it attractive enough for them to do so. Yeah. Because there are a lot of us that were gone are, are no longer there. There were two gastroenterologists. As far as I know, one's dead and one is retired. Now who, who's the one that died? Um, um, James Robinson.
8: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep.
5: I sure did. And the one that retired is my former husband. Right. So that's that's a loss. Um, that is a loss. Yeah. You don't you don't have <laughs> yeah. a black. Um, uh, even the number of pediatricians have dropped. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. They have died or they have retired. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So but I think
2: this, we I have think to this start also, saying something
5: about it. Right. I think this is
6: also a testimony, though, to uh, EDOC advice. Um, the conversation as I'm listening to you two, I think about um, when Dr. James shares um, not only on air but personally um, experiences and um, um, the walk that she's taking now in assisting people and her desire in connecting with other professionals to have these conversations of, of outcomes of, what, of how a person can come up with a treatment plan to be um, proactive in their health. And when they go back to the physicians, even though we may not have you, we do have you, you know what I'm saying? To the point where we can come and talk to you, and then we can take your words back to the physicians that ask questions. And to me, that kind of throws the flag up of, uh, okay, so now they're learning the terminology. They know what to ask. And so I need to now step up on my game. Who are they talking to?
5: hmm Absolutely, just that has happened. Well, sister Sister Maya, I'm so happy that we could have this conversation, Queen Mother Shabaka. And uh, Sister Maya, would you please start bid us to down. do?
6: Yes. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Um, I think also, Dr. Rogers, um, the production staff at the Sankofa Council for their support of this program and for sharing their vision and unity, um, following the African principles and helping us to learn and use these principles in our lives. We look forward to bringing you more programs, and that um, we hope you will enjoy. Um, definitely a special thank you to Dr. Uh, Martin for being with us and sharing her wisdom and knowledge. Um, visit our sponsor at wweadvice.com and we thank the Sendley Medical Clinic. Good night. Stay safe, the Sankofa family, and all of you. Until next time, your host, co-host, Sister Ifuwa Ma'at with Dr. James, and we have Mother Shabaka.
2: Put breakfast on your table And I make sure that your coffee Has its sugar and cream Ooh, your heads are over easy Your toast done lightly All that's missing is your morning kiss That used to creep me your dinner, will be waiting
4: for you, but
2: when you get there, you just tell me you're not hungry at all, you said you'd